Welcome to the Fearless Health Podcast with host Dr. Anne-Marie Barter. Dr. Barter is on a mission to help people achieve their health and wellness goals and help men and women live their best lives fearlessly. Dr. Barter is the founder of Alternative Family Medicine and Chiropractic in Denver and Longmont, Colorado. Sarah, thank you so much for being on today. I'm so excited to have you and talk all things infertility. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Awesome. So um, I am curious what got you into being a fertility coach. What's your story? Yeah, so I have my own journey with infertility, and I'll kind of share a little bit how that that came to be. So um, in my early 20s, I had irregular periods. I had this weird fungal rash on my chest. I had, um, at that point, I had uh, yeast infections. And I was always joked in my like early 20s, I was like having menopausal hot flashes because I was in HR at the time. I thought that was kind of funny, but it turns out that I was. So um I, so I went off, so this sort of, I had this plan of getting married at 25 and have my kids at 28. So I still had those irregular cycles and I had acne as well. And then, so the first line of defense is to be put on the birth control pill. So I was one of the birth control pill and, you know, uh, regulated my cycle, but in a, in a non-natural way and the acne didn't really go away. So then, um, when I was 28, one had my kids. So I went off the pill slightly before that and my periods were still irregular and the acne was still there the yeast infections were still there. So I went to my OBGYN and then I was told that I had premature ovarian failure, which is the loss of function of the ovaries before the age of 40. And told the only way I'd ever have children is by using donor eggs. Remember her reaching up on her shelf, grabbing the IVF brochure, uh, saying off you go. And, and I didn't take any time to connect any of those other symptoms. And I went straight to the fertility clinic, got on a list for donor eggs. This is 18 years ago. My daughter's just turned 18. So when you said donor eggs, people are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Um, now we've got embryo adoption, embryo donation, and a whole host of things going on with, um, with uh, the, the fertility clinic industry. Um, and so, yeah, we went on the list for donor eggs, and we're lucky enough on the first fresh transfer to have our daughter. And then a year after that, we had two embryos left over. One had my kids close together and went back in. I was super stressed because I had this, you know, this mission to have them close together, and that didn't work. Um, so went on a list for a separate um, donor, and then we're lucky enough on the first fresh transfer to have my son, and he's 15. And so then fast forward, after I had my daughter, I, I remember having like nine colds. Every cold went to a science infection. I thought it was a great idea to take antibiotics for every cold. Not a great idea. I completely destroyed my beneficial uh, gut, uh, gut bacteria. Um, I started getting chronic sinusitis, chronic bladder infections, peeing blood, became allergic to all the antibiotics. Um, thought I had, thought I had fleas at one point. It was high from, from the antibiotics. Yeah. Uh, it was fun. And then, um, then I had vertigo, toenail infections, dandruff. Um, and then I also had chronic uh, yeast infections. Just thought it was normal to have to wear uh, like a liner all the time and, and never really properly diagnosed as you know, to what that was. So and then at the time, I was still in HR, wanted to bring um, coaching into the corporate environment, took a life coaching course, and that's when I had my own personal wake-up call, wanted to go into health and wellness, then took a health coaching course, and that's when I discovered I had these food sensitivities. So for me, I'm sensitive to gluten and dairy, and I found out later corn. Um, when I took out those, those inflammatory foods, the bladder infections, the sinus infections, the yeast infections started to go away. And then a few years after that, discovered it was... Um, corn as well as gut infections, so I had H. pylori, streptococcus, and fungal overgrowth, 
So worked on that. And it's not just about the diet and the gut infections. I worked on the lifestyle and really slowing down. I didn't discover this till I was till I was 40, fully in menopause. So it was too late for me. Uh, but I but I help people really using the tools of the, using the functional approach, the functional medicine approach to really help them make changes to their their diet and lifestyle using functional lab testing to help them get to the bottom of what's going on with their infertility. Because for me, it was it was too late. And wow, that is like quite a story. And I mean, honestly, it, it sounds like you walked into the fertility clinic, you were not given any options other than IVF. Was there anything that you knew outside of the realm that would have helped? I mean, clearly now you're in the functional medicine realm and you know that that actually creates fertility. But, but I mean, were any options, uh, additional options given to you? No, I was literally given for my OBGYN was given that brochure to the fertility clinic. I didn't even get a second opinion for the premature ovarian failure. I was like, okay, my FSH was in the 90s. I have regular cycles a couple of times a year. Okay, that's what it is. I'm like a somewhat smart, educated person, right? Like, why did I not get a second opinion? Anyway, went straight in there, thought that was my only option. I had no idea these other health issues were connected to my infertility. Now, as I you know, learn more about all this stuff. And it's, it's still a continual like learning curve, about your health and all that. But really looking back, I, I had these dark circles under my eyes when I was 12, which is indicated for food sensitivity. For me, was it gluten all along? You know, I have MTHFR one, uh, one, uh, one snip of the, the, I think it's, I'm not sure which one it is, but it's, it, it, there, there is, I do have the MTHFR gene, which then um, impairs my ability to methylate. So was the fact that I was, you know, we were raised in a, in a house that was in a, in a forest. It was a cedar house. It was regularly inf- um, infested with ants and we always sprayed the house. You know, I have infertility. My brother has blood cancer. My, di- my, my dog died of cancer at 10. The fact that I was inhaling all those environmental toxins of that then, you know, the tipping point was the fact that for POF, the, the, big, the first line of defense is to, to, you know, to go on birth control. I was on it for 10 years plus HRT to that tip the point for food sensitivities, gut infections, all the other host of things that I'm still freaking dealing with, you know, is we'll never know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, I definitely think the environmental toxins contribute to, you know, genetic SNPs, AKA MTHFR, you know, mm-hmm. and everything else, you know, it, we know that environmental toxins are, are rampant, especially if they're spray, and that we know that a lot of the things in those sprays are carcinogenic. So that's right. And clearly, yes. So, um, what do you think of birth control now? Because at this point, a lot of women they come in with endometriosis, PCOS. They're given birth control. So, what's your what's your thought on on that as a first line of defense, or the only line of defense, really? in um in the in some of these conditions to me it's a band-aid approach and a lot of times so i speak to women all the time everyone comes to me and they typically find the functional approach last they're not like the first line of defense is you go to your OBGYN, they refer you to the re you go to the fertility clinic and they're like great you're a great candidate for ioi or an ivf off you go you need to go on birth control to regulate cycles and even before that so everyone that comes to me has been struggling for years um, and typically when I ask them if they've been on long-term hormonal birth control and a very high percentage of people struggle with infertility have been the ones that I've talked to hundreds of people, um, that are, that are, they were, when they were, went on the pill, it was not for prevention. They went on because they had irregular cycles. 
you know, uh, PMS, acne, um, all sorts of things going on with their cycle. So the first line of defense is here's the pill, which is a band-aid approach doesn't get to the, the root cause. And then they go off and those things are still there and, and worse. And now they're struggling with infertility. Is there, is it related? Does, you know, because basically the pill will then impact your ability to absorb nutrients. You can eat this. We see it all the time. People eating organic nutrient dense, you know, beautiful diet, no, no processed foods, but then they're well fed, but malnourished. So it's not being able to absorb it. And we, and we do a hair tissue mineral analysis test to be able to see, Oh wait, yeah, these things are off. And then also the pill predisposing you to those food sensitivities and gut infections. So we see this all the time with people that come that, that are working with, we're working with there's food sensitivities and gut infections and they would, no one would think, most people aren't thinking when they have infertility, they have a food sensitivity or a gut infection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so ultimately if somebody comes in to see you, how are you identifying these things? Like what's your approach as someone comes in and they say, you know what? Um, my doctor told me I'm infertile, which is a terrible thing to say to somebody because that they're pretty devastated at that point. Um, but what's your approach with um, these women as they come in? Yeah, so basically, as I say, most people have, come, have gone through multiple failed IVFs, like the emotional heartache associated with that and, and financial cost as well. Um, as I, you know, sharing, sharing my, this information on my podcast, um, people are starting to come before they go down that road, but most people are coming after. So really, we start people off by doing the elimination diet, and we're, and we're coaching couples. In the beginning, I was just coaching women, even, even though it is female factor infertility that we, we, that we primarily deal with, unexplained, low, low AMH, undiminished ovarian reserve, POI, and POF because of my story. Um, the, those are the ones we're, we're, we're mainly dealing with. Can you define uh, those terms? Cause I don't think a lot of folks know what those are. Oh yeah. So premature ovarian failure, which is what, what I had. So the, so the loss of the function of the, uh, the ovaries before age 40, and now they're calling it premature ovarian insufficiency. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing, um, basically being told. And so for me, I was diagnosed at 28 and most people that I speak to, they're, they're diagnosed in like the late twenties, early thirties. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it is a true diagnosis of POF that, you know, all your, all the, all your hormones are flatlined and it is, is, you know, true POF. Other times we're seeing that people's estrogen is fine. It could have, you know, estrogen dominance and maybe their progesterone is low and their testosterone is low. And so we're doing the Dutch test to see, you know, what's happening with your hormones. And in a conventional approach, it would be like treat the numbers where we don't, our first thing is not like, Oh, bioidentical hormones. Let's like, we dig into, well, why, like, why is that off? And, why do so many people coming to us have thyroid dysfunction? So yeah, so to back it up, so basically we um, start off by doing the elimination diet. So we have people, both partners, and even though it's female fat and fertility, the, the man's over there saying my sperm is fine, everything's great. Taking out those top allergens, which are dairy, gluten, soy, corn, peanuts, eggs, take those out for 10 days, systematically reintroduce them is the gold standard for or to determine if there's a food sensitivity and see exactly how, um, how food impacts your body. If people bring back in corn, flares of asthma, bring back in dairy, you can feel phlegmy, bring back in uh, gluten, you could, you could have digestive issues. So it's, it's different for everyone. And then we tweak it with the food sensitivity test. Now there's a lot of people that say maybe a food sensitivity test, it's like a snapshot in time, do we, do we really need it? Um, we, because people on the fertility journey, everyone's in a, in a big panic. We have the, you know, the biological clock. So we will, 
we will have the food sensitivity test there to tweak it. And especially if you've been on birth control or antibiotics or chronic stress, these sort of things, potentially that will then lead to a leaky gut. You could have the food sensitivity test come back and you're intolerant to all your favorite foods, which I had that as well. Um, but then as you start to heal the gut and heal all these, these issues, you can potentially bring most of the foods back in. If there's foods that are like really high sensitivity and we are seeing with the people that we're working with, it's a high sensitivity to gluten. So not, not celiac disease, but you know, non-celiac gluten sensitivity. So, and that's, that's not necessarily showing up on the food sensitivity test. We'll, we'll use a leap MRT test, or we're now digging into the Zoomer, the Zoomer bundles. So there's a, a Zoomer wheat, Zoomer corn, Zoomer dairy. You can really drill down. Uh, we ha I had Dr. Tom O'Brien on the podcast talking about, um, he's a world-renowned expert, you know, on, on gluten, and him talking about, so the current celiac test only tests for one protein in gluten. There's over 75. The Zoomer bundles will look, look for 26. So it's not perfect, but at least it'll give like a really a good clue. And then we'll say, wait, if it's really high, we want the whole household to be gluten-free. That's why it's important. The partner could be off, you know, having beer or drinking a, or having a bun and then coming back to kiss the part, you know, kiss his partner. And then that's then causing inflammation in their body for, for months on end. So it's really important to get both partners into the, into the diet piece. And then if we find that there is additional sensitivities with gluten, like to really, really dig into that piece with diet. I think a lot of I just did, a, did an episode today on, a, on my podcast talking about what people get wrong with, with diet and they, um, they get wrong the gluten light. Everyone's like, oh, I've gone gluten free, but they've really only gone gluten, gluten light hmm. um, and not really fully taken it out with the elimination diet. They, um, they also, well, they'll do, like, there's a keto craze, like they've done Whole30 keto, um, vegan, paleo, all of those, and didn't notice any changes. And I think a lot of times people just think with, with the diet piece that it's just digestive uh, digestive issues, but really it could be like skin issues, mood, joint, um, things that people are missing there, and they just think you know that could be normal. It's common but not normal. So that like the diet piece, we regularly see people getting that wrong because they they and they could be having that you know, super healthy, organic, nutrient-dense diet, because more often than not, those are the kind of people that are coming to me. They're like, they've done all these changes, but maybe the lettuce that you're eating that's super healthy, maybe that's not healthy for your body. Mm -hmm. I like, first off, I've never heard the term gluten light. I think that's <laughs> great. I've never heard that, but I think you're correct. Um, most people don't realize how much gluten is in. And I mean, I think once you've made this, I didn't realize this, but when you've made this a lifestyle, I've been doing pretty much gluten-free for about 20 years, you know, and I started like paleo when it was a low fat craze. And so that was really awkward to be sitting down with like a plate, uh, like a steak <laughs> during the low fat craze. Yeah. And, you know, there were no gluten-free foods. So I learned to eat pretty much doing paleo initially that way, right? It, when I had to do my elimination diet for a very long time because I was sick. But I think now you have so many more options and there's so much more confusion. And so through the years, I feel like I've been able to keep up, but I see people when you hand them an elimination diet, they're like, what do I do? Yeah. And I love another piece that you said that I think is so important when you talked about the diets, the ketos, the paleos, that people are getting these wrong and that everybody, you know, these diets, when you're running these tests, it's individualized for each person. I think that that's so critical because 
you'll see somebody come in, especially women doing a keto diet, and they'll gain weight on it. And it's maybe because they're eating lots of squash and lots of these vegetables that are actually not included in the traditional keto diet. So maybe they're not doing it correctly. Maybe the diet doesn't really work for their body, whatever it is. But there's no diet that's right for everybody. It just doesn't work that way. So I just think that those things are so important and just really getting to the root of what is causing the infertility. But you said something interesting, which I 100% agree with. Um, you said there's a lot of thyroid issues. Do you want to go into that a little bit with infertility? Yeah, we see this very regularly, either undiagnosed hypothyroidism. So people are saying, oh, first of all, so undiagnosed, they don't even know that the TSH, so basically for, you know, for functional, liking it below 2 or 1.5. So they're just looking at the TSH, and maybe there's this 5 or in the 4s, and they're like, oh, it's fine. Um, so that being missed, and then not looking at the full panel, um, so missing that, not looking at antibodies. So we regularly see people actually being undiagnosed Hashimoto's, so no one even, like there was antibodies, and people are like, okay, it's fine and nothing was really done. And then why you're doing with you know, dealing with repeat miscarriage or unexplained infertility, well, that's not unexplained infertility if you have an autoimmune disease. So we see that. Or then the subclinical um, uh, hypothyroidism. So it's not actually, it's not actually a thyroid. It's maybe the gut, there's an issue going on in the gut or there's food sensitivities, other issues going on that then the thyroid has gone, gone off. So the T3 or T4 is off. So um, we, so it's a really important, we always look at the full panel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For the thyroid markers, just to see, I mean, and I think for women, especially it is just off the charts. Almost every time I personally see a high TSH Hashimoto's is following. And even if the TSH is normal, a lot of times there's Hashimoto's mm -hmm. completely normal, not even like functionally normal, um, not even quote unquote, like in the reference range. Um, and one other important point I really love that you made, made too is um, men and women need to both be on this diet. And do you think that that's really important? I mean, I think it's best that both parents have high mineral status, high nutrition status, because, you know, the, the baby is, you know, the sperm and the egg are made four months in advance before conception. So, I mean, do you really coach your, your clients in, in that regard? Absolutely. Yeah. At the beginning, I was just coaching women and then there'd be even, you know, infertility impacts all aspects of your life, your relationship, your career, your joy, your social life. And then just coaching women, you're missing the whole connection with the partner. Maybe the partner thinks that, you know, this is stereotypically, but maybe he thinks that he has to be strong for her, that he can't really, you know, obviously he's equally hurting. He wants to have his, you know, have his child as well. So he's sometimes doesn't even know what he can do. Maybe he's just taking multivitamins or he's being very supportive, but he's like, what else can I do? And so bringing them together, sometimes they're having conversations that they've never even talked about before. They'd be like, oh, I didn't know you felt that way. So the emotional side of this is, is really key. And then from a physical standpoint, we're looking at it. We're, we're, we're doing a blood chemistry review, not to um, diagnose, but to educate, to really say, you know, what's been missed on his blood chem, um, even though if he says his sperm is normal, you know, is there something been missed that way? And then we can recommend um, functional testing if we see something is off. And we see, regularly see infections being passed back and forth. So H. pylori being passed back and forth with no symptoms with, you know, it passed back and forth through, through saliva. So we see that quite a lot with, with partners and um, that would be missed if, if, if the testing wasn't done and we'd be able to see the blood chem review to see, oh wait, there's, 
you know, issues with infection. So we're, we're seeing that, but the, the emotional side of having both partners together, because it, it's, it's women that always reach out to me. They're the ones doing all this research, doing all the work, you know, all these changes to their diet and potentially the partner doesn't really know what to do. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing a lot of H. pylori infections. Are you seeing other infections quite a bit? You said gut infections. Um, and in your story, you had candida. Like, what are you generally seeing in the infection realm? Yeah, in the infection, so we, as we say, we do a lot of people with, with POI and POF and low AMH. Um, so basically, those are the kind of ones where people have been told it's donor eggs for you. You know, it's nothing's going to work. And mm-hmm. we've helped people get pregnant naturally after, you know, three or four months. So, and so with those, we see people with like parasites. You can get a parasite inside of North America. I don't need to travel. Um, parasites, bacterial overgrowth, um, fungal issues, um, the H. pylori, we see that regularly. So we've had people with nine different infections, you know, so there is, there's typically something going on in the gut and that, so, so we use the GI map. That's where we, where we use, we see that if there's, um, uh, gluten sensitivity in there, that the uh, anti-gliadin, we, we actually see that one in there. If that's, high, then it's indicator of, of high gluten sensitivity, sort of making sure that you to really be very diligent about gluten and your medication and your personal care. And, you know, it can be exposed in a whole bunch of places becoming a really um, detective to make sure you're, you are being gluten-free because you could be glutened. You could be getting gluten somewhere in something that you're doing. You cut gluten. How long does it take you to, to reverse, um, you know, kind of a middle of the road, um, infertility case? You know, it's, it is so different because people come in and they would say, Oh, it's unexplained infertility or, or it's, it's low AMH. So like, it, it really de- depends. Like we've had someone with like, she had an AMH of 0.09, which is basically like the lowest you can get like low, even though, even though AMH though is only the indicator of how well you'll do with IV. One egg. So, um, so for her in this instance, she actually had uh, multiple gut infections. She had um, she actually had celiac disease, un- undiagnosed celiac disease that was not picked up, and um, and then she had so she went on the AIP diet. So we did the elimination diet, and then we had her, her do the AIP diet, the autoimmune protocol diet, and just which is quite strict. And she she was really really diligent with that. And um, we addressed the gut infections and yeah, four months later she was pregnant naturally. So she just had her little boy in September. So yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. Do people, so when I'm doing a protocol, I tell people not to get pregnant. Um, do you do the same thing or do you just like, yeah, because you really want to clean everything out? Yeah, it is, it is hard. Right? Get because, pregnant. <laughs> yeah, sometimes, yeah. So, but, like it is hard though, right? Because when we're doing a protocol, the, 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 the herbs or the supplements we're using are contraindicated in pregnancy. So we say we want you to not try during this time, right? Mm-hmm. So if you do happen to get pregnant, then we can, um, there's only a couple supplements that we'd recommend, but yeah. And that can be hard for people actually when they come in because our, our program is six months and we're like, okay, this is what we're going to find. If we find something, we don't want you to try. And everyone's in a panic, like 28 or 38, everyone's in a panic to expand their family. And that could feel like three months could feel like a, a long, long time. But in the grand scheme of things of, you know, of your, your, your pregnancy, your postpartum health, the health of your children, 
like my postpartum health was horrible. I, I had looking back, it was like postpartum rage. I was not crying in the corner. I wanted to kick the crap out of the corner. I was just like, eh, I'm so pissed off. And then the health of my children. So both my kids have food sensitivities. So keeping teenagers and young kids off gluten and dairy is a nightmare. Um, and so I didn't, you know, I didn't fix any of this stuff until later. So those things kind of came home to roost. So um, to me, it's like taking this time now and really working on your preconception health because yeah, you could go to the fertility clinic and it could work, but you'd have an address. Like if we're all meant to be able to conceive, well, why is it not working for you? And going there, it's just not addressing the root cause. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I always think the, the first thing to go away and the last thing to come back is the ability to conceive because it's not something that we need for our own health as women. Right. And so that's the first thing to go when we're trying to deal with something else in our body. Right. I mean, I think that that's the bottom line. And I don't know what you've seen um, with IVF treatments, but I've noticed that women seem to have a more, a higher chance of being manic postpartum or depressed postpartum. I don't know if you've seen that in your practice or if you've noticed that. Yeah, because people we're working with, and they all have a really good postpartum. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, like people, like postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression, all of that is because, like, what was missed beforehand that you, that, you know, as you, you're saying, the body wants to survive, not procreate, and we're pushing it towards, you know, pumping it full of drugs, and we don't know, we don't know the impact of the drugs on the mother. There's research saying, you know, linked to cancer. We don't really know the impact of the drugs on children, again, cancer and other health issues. It's all kind of, you know, pre- uh, preliminary. There was, I, there was a documentary. I interviewed the um, woman that was in this documentary, uh, Kathleen, uh, Kathleen DiChiara, her uh, documentary, Secret Ingredients. And in there, she, her and her family had 21 chronic diseases. They went organic and, non, and non-GMO and they were able to heal. And in there, there was a woman that had repeat miscarriage and they were talking about um, fertility. So she was able to, 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 to give birth after making these changes. But uh, in the fertility industry, in 1985, there was 44 clinics. In 2015, there's 440 in the U.S. Like, what is going on? Like, this is like a multi-billion dollar, trillion dollar business. And why are all these clinics? Like, what is happening? You know, you see our food supply. We're in the middle of a huge food experiment. And it's impacting. It was 60-40 female factor, male factor. Now we're seeing more 50-50. You know, one in eight in the U.S., one in six in Canada, are struggling with infertility. So, you know, this is like, it's like the handmaid's tale, like the <laughs> dystopian kind of whole thing where, wait a minute, our food is, is we're in the middle of a huge food experiment and it's impacting our fertility and we're just pumping drugs at it. And like, like, let's just back this whole thing up. How much does IVF therapy cost? Do you know, like a ballpark? Yeah, so basically it takes an average of three cycles at a cost of $60,000. So most people think it's like, oh, because it takes an average of three cycles for it to work. So 60K. Now the functional approach obviously is an investment, but it's nowhere near 60K. (laughs) And and IVF doesn't get to the bottom of why it's not working in the first place. So for me, you know, 10 years later at the age of 40, my, my health like just took a complete nosedive and I had to eventually deal with it. So you'll eventually have to deal with it. And either, either it comes in the form of an autoimmune disease or, or something because you haven't addressed what was going on in the first place. I mean, as a general rule, I mean, even if Hashimoto's is at the underlying cause of it, I think 
people are saying, they used to say 60% of thyroid cases were autoimmune. Now I'm hearing like 80 to 90% of all thyroid cases are autoimmune. And I think that 80% of people have a silent autoimmunity. So, I mean, you're going to have to pay the piper sometime. And I mean, you might as well make the investment sooner because it's going to be much faster if you're in your twenties or your thirties versus if you're in your sixties is the honest truth. Yeah. Just our yeah. bodies heal so much better and so much faster. So what would you say to somebody that's just really on the fence and they are like looking down the barrel and they're like, we have this, we could look at this medical treatment or we could potentially take a functional approach. I don't know what's better. I feel like maybe the IVF is more researched. What would you, what would your comment be to that? To me, it's interesting with the functional approach or the natural approach. People, all of a sudden, we become these researchers. Oh, we got to research everything, you mm-hmm. know. And then with, when someone gives, we go to the doctor, and the first thing they do is they give us a pill, and we just take it. We don't research it, and there's all these side effects. So the functional approach is digging into why. To me, it's like with a functional approach, you either feel it or you don't. So I'm not here to convince you. Like if you're, if what I've been saying, you've been talking about it the last little while, if you're like, oh damn, that sound, that makes sense. That sounds like something I'd like to explore. Like if you, but if you, it doesn't make sense to you, you won't be able to do it because you have to be able to make diet and lifestyle changes. You have to be open. I've had people I've coached and they're like, this is crap. And it was crap for them because they didn't do any, any of the work. So we will coach you. And that's why our program is coaching you to help get out of your own way. You know, if you could do it by yourself, you already would have done it. So helping like the life coaching side of this is, is equally as important. Um, the mental emotional side, um, as all the testing and all of that. But really, like if you're trying to choose between IVF, IVF is, is a huge investment um, that's not going to get to the bottom of why it's not working in the first place and may impact, like if, it's, if you don't want to think about yourself, at least think about your kids. Like I've got these kids with food sensitivities, autism's on the rise. Like what, I don't know, like what is being missed here that we are pumping our bodies full of drugs and we think that is, you know, it's an expensive magic pill, like, cause it can, you know, it can work, but um, eventually this stuff comes home. And if you haven't really figured out that you can have a really bad postpartum period and maybe you're not even able to even look after your child because you're in such a, either a dark hole or, you know, you may not be feeling well. So, um, but again, it's very personal. You have to, to me, if you're listening to this podcast right now, you're open to it and you're ready to make changes. You've, found the functional side of things so it is to you know to, to dig further but most people are like what the only think the only way to do this is to go to the clinic so in any of your clients that you have seen prior to um you know helping them coaching them through have any of the moms had a baby that was diagnosed autistic uh no, I haven't, we haven't had that. So, but yeah, with, it's interesting just with my kids being in school and um, a lot of friends that are teachers, like the, the amount of like children with autism obviously has gone through the roof. Right. And um, so that documentary I talked to you about secret ingredients with Kathleen mm-hmm. De uh, Chiara, which is I, every time I see the, every time I see the trailer, I cry every time because her son was diagnosed with autism at two they said he would never, he would never do anything. They, he was basically going to be, you know, anyway, she managed to recover him. He's 16 and he's, in, yeah. he's perfect. 
and we all know that's hogwash, right? <laughs> so that you know that you can you can fix health conditions, you can fix things. Things can be fixed or things can be made better, like autism. It's yeah. not something that you have to live with. Exactly. Um, so I think that's really important. What are five or what are a couple of things that you do every day to keep yourself healthy? Myself. So um, so I like to meditate. So I'll meditate. I uh, will do that in the morning. I, I really am into like eating my, my meals. <laughs> like, don't mm -hmm. mess with my food. <laughs> I'll eat three meals a day. I like to sit down when I eat them. I, you know, I work at home, so I'm, I'm, I'm uh, blessed to be able to be able to do that and be able to make ni nice meals. So for me, it's meditating. It's something I resisted for years. I'm like, I don't have time to meditate. And that really has made the difference for me. Um, the food piece, not eating on the run, just actually, and try not to I do will look at something at lunch, but the rest, the other two meals, I will try not to read or, or do like if I'm by myself, I try to just be with the meal. That is something I'm working on. It's, doesn't, it's not always perfect. Um, and then also moving. I used, I like to walk my dog a couple times a day. I do like gentle yoga. I just got back into doing um, more like high intensity interval training. So like orange theory kind of just doing that, which is good for me. Uh, I don't know. I do things that make me like feel good. So for me, it's moving, eating nice foods and, you know, hanging out with like-minded fun people. Yeah. I think that's really important just to be happy and to be balanced yeah. in your life. I think mm -hmm. that's awesome. And any tips that you would give somebody just struggling right now with infertility? Um, so first of all, depending on where they are. So if they've just been diagnosed, then you can dig into like looking at the diet piece and, at a minimum going organic and not in non GMO. And then you can do the elimination diet with you and your partner. If you've been through like a couple of failed IUIs or IVFs, I would recommend digging into the the, um, the mindset side of things. So we run my mind, uh, mindfulness fertility uh, program a couple of times a year. So looking at meditation, looking at um, like beginning a journal or um, looking at your mindset to see what's, what's going on here. Um, and even just doing like a couple, a couple minutes of, of breathing a day, uh, can be really helpful. Um, or, or mindfulness, bring that into your routine, either mindful eating, mindful hand washing, mindful shower, like those really simple, simple tact tactics until, and then when you feel, and there's either you're in two camps, you're either saying, I'm totally not stressed. I'm fine. So that was me. I'm not stressed. I'm great. So to, to look into that, because going through infertility is very stressful in itself. So if you're saying you're not stressed, maybe to get honest about that a little more, or you're super stressed and overwhelmed, um, being able to like take a few steps back. And, and a lot of it is like self-care, like making sure you're getting your, your sleep, um, like prioritizing sleep, getting a sleep routine, um, and then really like setting boundaries. And especially there's a lot of triggers around infertility. So being able to, if you can tell a select few of, you know, this is how I want you to handle a baby announcement or, or um, a shower invite, you know, this is how I want you to handle it. Um, and then if people are asking you the, you know, when you're having kids thing, have a response prepared because it can be, people are just, it's like talking about the weather. It's like small talk and people say, you know, when are you having kids or do you have kids? And then that it can be a real trigger for people that are dealing with infertility. So very, very painful. 
So yeah, depending on where you are, I would dig into self-care. If you've had a couple fail cycles, if you've just, just been diagnosed, I would look at the diet first. Yeah, I think you made such a great point about when are you having kids or are you getting a little old for kids or is your window running out or whatever is said there. I just feel so bad for women that, that take that in because they feel so much more pressure and in that, that clock that's ticking, quote unquote, just makes them feel so much more pressure. And we all know that that's definitely going to interfere with being pregnant. Yeah, that was just so, so great. So helpful today. So where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? Yeah, totally. So they can find me on the Get Pregnant Naturally podcast. It's on iTunes and Spotify. And I offer a free fertility uh, diet uh, challenge. So they can go to fertility diet freebie, F-R-E-E-B-I-E.com. And then there's a three, there's three days of um, fertility recipes, all anti-inflammatory foods. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed learning with us today, please give us a five-star review, comment, like, and share our podcast with your friends and family. As always, if you'd like to learn more information about today's guest, please head over to fearlesshealthpodcast.com for links to their site and other educational resources.